it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 312. Today, we have two fantastic, very thought-provoking questions that we're going to unpack for everybody today. And so I guess without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive on in. So here we go. Best slash efficient portfolio breakdown slash management for different age categories. And this is from NAMI. So this we got this from Spotify. So this is a great question. So Andrew, I'm going to serve it over to you to get us started on this fantastic question. Yeah, Nami, thanks for the question. The first thing I would say is maybe take a listen to the episode we did very recently. It should be live by the time this episode is live. We did it with Laura Adams. And she really talked about how you can apply personal finance and the way that you would structure your investment philosophy based on where you are in your personal finance journey. So as an example, she used the example of accumulation versus can't remember the words she used, but basically harvesting. So it's like for a big portion of your career, you're probably going to be in accumulation mode, trying to save and invest as much as you can. At a certain point, you start to look towards retirement and start to harvest all of the hard work and accumulation you've done. And the investment philosophy, the type of investments you do, the way you think about your investments, all of that changes the closer you get towards the harvesting phase. So I would almost even say, Maybe not so much age categories per se, but where are you on that accumulation to harvesting time frame and start to structure your portfolio that way? Would you agree with that? Disagree? Have a different perspective? No, I think the way that Laura broke it down and the way you're breaking it down, I think is probably the best way to think about it. And I think one of the things that probably is skewing some of this and maybe changing how people think about this is the simple fact that we're living longer than we used to. And a lot of the 
air quote, time-tested ideas and philosophies, especially around portfolio management and retirement. And as you get closer to that, you know, break point, break even point or break point, you know, whatever, however you want to define that, it's changing. We, back in the day when the, like the 60-40 rule was kind of the, I guess the standard portfolio breakdown, times have changed and now we're living longer. And so in those days, maybe the average, you know, age range of retirement and how long you had while you were in retirement it was maybe 5, 10, 15 years. And now it's, it could be up to 30 years. And so the need for money for longer probably skews how you want to think about the accumulation phase. For example, maybe you push that farther in. Depends on when you're going to retire and how close you... I think there's certainly other paradigms to think about. But I think for me, I think that's the best way to think about it is you have this long runway that you want to accumulate as much stuff as you can, money. <laughs> and then as you get closer to retirement, you want to think about maybe switching from that accumulation phase and maybe being more risk on. And then as you get closer, thinking about more risk adverse. But how you want to play that is going to have some bearing on your health. And also how much you've been able to accumulate up to that point. But I think that just kind of the general breakdown is probably a great way to start thinking about how you want to set up your portfolio when you're starting to invest. So maybe you can explain what's the 60-40, which like you said, has kind of been the traditional asset allocation that a lot of financial advisors have used as a framework in the past. So what does that mean, 60-40? The easiest way to think about it is the 60-40 breakdown equals 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. And the reasoning was that you would go with 60% of stocks that are air quote riskier and are going to have better returns but then the 40% in bonds would help manage the risk of having that much exposure to equities. And the idea was, is by having that kind of ideal, air quote, ideal balance, you could get optimal returns without having to have a lot of risk. And that was kind of the standard portfolio for a very long time. And a lot of the financial advisors, there was lots of back tests that were done. A lot of financial advisors would work with their clients to help them set up those kinds of structures. And over time, that is kind of morphed. That's really, that was kind of the standard 10, 20 years ago. That was kind of the standard portfolio. And before that, you know, obviously we understand stocks can be a little bit more riskier, but have higher returns and then bonds a little bit less of both. What is it about that makes it better than like a hundred percent stock portfolio, for example? Well, it really comes down to, I guess, your risk tolerance. And there's back tests done on everything, every kind of portfolio you can think of. And there's lots of ways to argue each way. The harder part about allocating your funds that way, it comes down to your risk tolerance. That's going to be kind of the first idea, I guess. And then it really comes down to how much risk do you want to have and how long do you want to try to accumulate? And that's kind of what Laura was getting at. And if you are 24 and you're just starting out, putting 40% of your money in bonds at that stage of your life as you're investing, in theory and will probably harm your returns. It is not necessarily robbing you of money, but it could be putting some breaks on how much you could earn over a longer period of time because compounding needs long periods of time to compound. And the more money that you can put in that can compound, the better it's going to help you. So I think 
looking at a 60-40 portfolio, while it's not horrible and it's not the worst thing ever, I would argue that if you're 24, 30 years old, 35 years old, that's probably not the best strategy to go with unless you're just super risk averse and you just, the thought of having money in a lot of stocks or your whole portfolio in stocks just keeps you tossing and turning at night. You have to have more conservative, maybe air quote safer investments like bonds or money market funds or T-bills or treasury bills or something like that to help alleviate some of the stress of investing in Apple or Microsoft, for example. And that's kind of the way I think about that and having those portfolios. I think they had a time and a place, but I think that time and place has probably come and gone. What about for somebody closer to retirement? Well, that's where it gets a little more interesting. And that's where I think probably rotating towards something like that is probably a safer and better idea simply for the fact is the closer you get to retirement, the less opportunity you have to overcome a downturn in the market. And nothing would be worse than to work your whole life super, super hard and have a great, fantastic portfolio, be all set up to retire, and then the pandemic hits and you lose all that portfolio and not have it rebound like the stock market did. That whole drop and then rebound is unusual in history. Generally, they don't happen like that. It usually sees a down period for a couple, two, three years, and then a gradual upbeat, not a you know drastic downturn. And then like a month or two later, a you know, drastic rebound. So that's unusual. But so if you're going with the historical averages, if you're a year or two from retirement and you see a market downturn like dot-com bubble or the great financial crisis, that would suck majorly because then you have to choose okay, what am I going to do here? And by if you started allocating more money to safer investments, whether it's safer stocks or whether it's bonds or treasury bills or money market accounts, real estate, I mean, there's just a litany of things you could try. Anyway, my point is though, is that as you get closer, you want to start to switch to that because it reduces your risk of a big downturn and having to try to recover that as you go into retirement. Because that's a harder place to be. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Don't have time to search the whole stock market. Tired of waiting through endless information. Instead, get my trusted stock picks at valuespotlight.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. 
It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I think that's very well said. You know, part of the 60-40 is, let's say that does happen, which I think it happens more than a beginner to the investing world might realize. I mean, every 10 years or so, it seems you have a pretty big drop off in the stock market. Let's say you're 10, 5, 10 years from retirement. If you have 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, what's nice about that is if your stocks drop, your bonds will generally drop less. So let's say your stocks cut in half and maybe you have just to make it simple, you know, the bonds didn't really move much. So maybe now, you know, because your stocks have cut in half, you have like 50% in stocks and 50% in bonds. Because your bonds didn't move, but your stocks got cut in half. However, the math works out. What's nice about that is you could sell some of your bonds, put that into stocks, go back to the 60-40. And basically what you've done is bought low, been able to buy more stocks with money that was kept safe. And as you do that over you know, a 5-10 year period, you can get a lot more smoother returns and depending on which market environment you're in that you could actually outperform somebody who's 100% stocks. And so, you know, if you have somebody who's maybe at 10 million dollars and the difference between 10 million and 15 million doesn't mean much, but the difference between 10 million and 5 million means a lot, the 60/40 could make a ton of sense. And so to Dave's point, I think it really depends on where you are in that accumulation versus harvesting life cycle. I'd kind of push back maybe a little bit on the idea that 60-40 is dead. I think that's people overreacting to an unprecedented drop in the bond market, which I could go down the rabbit hole of interest rates, but nobody wants me to do that. So we'll just say it's it was unprecedented. Bonds really fell like we haven't seen. And so to think that the idea of shielding yourself from volatility by having some conservative investments outside of stocks as you're close to retirement. I don't think that idea will ever go away. I think a lot of this 64 these dead stuff is a lot of noise. But to your point also, to be so risk averse that you do that when you're first starting on your accumulation journey, I think it's also a very big risk in that I think a lot of beginners are naturally risk averse. And I think that's good, but I think it's not intuitive. It doesn't necessarily come easily, this idea that, 
I'm losing a lot of money by not putting it in the stock market. When you start to do a compound interest calculator and see the power of just the difference of a couple percentage points a year, it's massive if you talk about a long enough time frame. So the longer away you are from retirement, the more you're leaving money on the table by not saying, you know, buy all the risky stocks in the world, but saying to have enough risk tolerance to be in the stock market. I think it's a huge mistake to be too conservative and think about 60-40 for those first few years. That's great advice. And I think one of the things that I think people need to realize is that when they start out investing, like Andrew said, it's natural for people to feel like they're going to be more risk averse. The thing is, is that I think a lot of people, sometimes when they invest, they either fall into this like super risky or not risk enough. <laughs> and there can be a happy medium. And, you know, investing in companies like dividend aristocrats, companies like a Johnson and Johnson or a utility or, you know, a telecom or something like AT&T Verizon. And this is not me advocating for you to invest in those specifically. But what I am saying is that you can find very stable dividend paying, not huge growers, but also not super risky stocks, just like you can with bonds. And so there's different flavors of things. I mean, you can buy something like Tesla, which is a super volatile company up and down, very erratic, kind of like its owner. (laughs) So very erratic. But you can also buy something that's a lot more, you know, I guess, boring, if you will, air quote, boring, like Johnson & Johnson, which is one that kind of comes to mind. I'm not saying it's a bad investment, but it doesn't have the same kind of volatility that a Tesla would or crypto or any of those kinds of things. So you you don't have to go super crazy to accumulate. You also don't have to go super risk averse to not have some growth in your portfolio as well. And so you can find a happy medium across the board of different opportunities to invest in that can help you sleep well at night, but still get the returns that you need especially as a younger person, because you want to think about that snowball. The bigger and faster you can get it, the faster it's going to roll down the hill and the bigger it's going to be at the end of the hill. So if you start off, I'm not saying that you don't have to start with a big box, but if you start investing too conservatively, that pebble that starts at the top of the mountain, is not going to grow as fast as you want. So to kind of Andrew's point earlier, instead of having maybe a million five to retire with, you may only have 400,000. And if you think about 400,000 may sound like a lot of money and it is, I'm not saying it's not, but if you think about having to live off of that for the next 30 years, for example, if you retire at 65 and let's say you live until you're 95, you got to live off of 300 years or 30 years off of $400,000. That's about $13,000 a year. That's not a lot of money. And so it just to kind of put it in perspective, I'm not saying that to scare people. I just want you to understand the power of compounding and the power of the choices that you make early on can affect something that could happen 30, 40, 50 years from now. And we don't want people to get into that situation. We're not also not advocating that you go out and buy the riskiest stuff out there, but you just you need to understand the balance and understand the different opportunities and options that you do have that can help you get where you want to go. But I think overall, maybe we could kind of kind of tie this together for NAMI. Would you say generally from younger to mid 40s, maybe early 50s is probably a safe time period to be in the accumulation phase? And then once you start to get beyond the maybe mid 40s, early 50s is when you need to start thinking about the more harvesting period. 
Yeah, I think in general, that's a really great framework. There's also something called the 4% rule, which could keep you in stocks for the rest of your life. And the way that works is if you have enough of a nest egg, you can just sell 4% of your portfolio every year. But that 96%, that rest of that nest egg, if you keep it in the stock market over time, on average, it grows. And so even though you're withdrawing 4%, your money is making money in the market, you actually keep your nest egg intact. And I think it actually grows a little bit on top of that too. So that's a very interesting way to think about it. So I would say, yeah, in general, you want to start to accumulate, maybe start transferring over the less risky stuff as you get closer to retirement. But to your point, I mean, the whole idea of retirement's changing. The way we work is different than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you could find something you love to do and you could be working way longer. So I think there's a lot of benefits to kind of keeping an open mind as well and thinking through all your options. You know, if I was 25, I would just keep it simple and just get into the stock market, whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. And as you learn more and more about your options every day, you know, you can kind of figure it out from there. Yeah, I agree. I think the best advice we can give anybody is start now. Start yeah. starting the accumulation phase today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till Monday. After you're done listening to this, go open a brokerage account, put 50 bucks in there and buy something today. Please do it. Your life will be immeasurably better once you start. And it's just, I think once people can get past the inertia, then they'll find out you know, how great this is. And the sooner you start accumulating for that snowball, the better you're going to be. So start now, today. Yes. Turn off the podcast. Well, maybe don't do that, but <laughs> start now. Do it. All right. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so let's move on to the next question. So told you these are thought-provoking today. So here we go. Why do you choose to invest in individual stocks instead of buying ETFs and sitting on a beach? Now, this is not directly from somebody, but one of our followers on Twitter, Imran, sent me this message and said he thought this would be a really good question for us to ask answer on the podcast. It was from somebody else on Twitter. So Andrew, I'm going to throw it over to you to take first serve. All right. All right, Imran. First serve on the volleyball net. <laughs> to take the idea quite literally, the reason why I don't sit on the beach and choose to work is because I find purpose in it and it's fulfilling 
and I love what I do. I know that's not how everybody views work, but that's how I view work. Curious how you view the idea of like, you know, I guess we're we're also a little bit different in that we kind of look at stocks for a living. So how do you view it? Well, I view it the same way. I mean, I love what we do and I love to do what I do because it gives me purpose and it makes me feel like I'm helping people and trying to better society as well as the world. And in some small little way that we can help somebody out there that's maybe struggling with trying to figure out what to do and how to get where they want to go. And the opportunity that the podcast gives us to reach out to those people is what gets me up every morning. It helps me read, helps me go through some of the boring stuff that I have to read to learn and to become a better investor for myself so that I can try to help pass that on to other people. And so that's, I mean, that's why I choose to do it instead of like they said, buying ETFs and sitting on a beach. There are some days where that does sound appealing, but (laughs) it drives me. The other thing that for me is it's an intellectual pursuit and it's, it tweaks the curiosity driven brain that I have. I am curious like a cat and I want to know everything about everything. And so the stock market to me is an endlessly fascinating, I guess, industry. And just the fact that I get to sit here and learn all the ins and outs of Amazon and what drove Jeff Bezos to do what he did, the decisions that he made, the history and how the company does what it does, even though it's not a company I invest in, I still find it endlessly fascinating. And the psychology behind why we choose to all invest in Prime, yes, I finally bit the bullet and I am a Prime member. And so there's, I think there's two of us now in the United States that left now that are not. But anyway, just the, there's so many interconnected parts to the market beyond just the stock picking part of it that I just find endlessly fascinating. And it's an intellectual exercise that keeps my brain going and makes me excited every day to get up to do this because it's it's kind of a flywheel. I The more I learn, the more excited I am to talk about it, and the more I want to try to help people. And the more that we can help people, the more that I want to learn and it just becomes a flywheel. And that's why I find it interesting and why I choose to do what I do. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, when you look at some of the fund managers who have done really well, or even somebody like Buffett or Munger, you know, they've they've hung around so long past their 90s. And I think it was Irving Kahn. And I can't remember. There's somebody else I I read about recently. And also uh, John Templeton. I think he continued investing until a very old age. Yep. So you wonder if there's some sort of correlation. I'm not, I'm so far from like a doctor, scientist, whatever, right. uh, long, longevity expert. But you wonder if there's some sort of correlation there between having that intellectual stimulation mm-hmm. and that endless curiosity in a world that is constantly changing. And if that does have, you know, longevity side effects too. Who's to say, I mean, you don't have to be managing a hundred billion dollars to get the same type of intellectual stimulation. You could be managing your own portfolio and feel just as tap dancing to your little desk to read 10Ks just like Buffett does. It's Mm -hmm. there's really nothing saying you can't do that through retirement or even up to retirement. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I just think that there's so much involved in the stock market that you could find the history of it endlessly fascinating. And that could be something that just keeps you keeps you interested and keeps you intrigued for a very, very long time because it's kind of a never-ending subject. 
And there's so many different aspects of that that you can look into. And kind of the same with the the number part of it. There's just so much endless fascination and depth that you could go into analyzing that. And you don't have to pick 100% individual companies either. You can do this. You can invest in ETFs and then you can go, you know, I am super, super curious about Netflix and how do they do what they do? How did they get there? What is the story behind Reed Hastings? And you could spend the rest of your life studying Netflix if you want. And that could be the only individual company you buy. And you could still get a great return and you have a lot of fun along the way. I think sometimes people think about stock market is a job and investing is a job for sure. There's no question about it. But I think you also have to remember what drove you to play it. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes every once in a while, well, perfect example is the movie with Tom Cruise and Cuba Gooding Jr. where they're talking about in the movie, they're talking about money and how important money is. And Tom Cruise asks Cuba Gooding, do you remember when you first started playing football and how much fun it was? And Cuba Gooding gets this little smile on his face and then it kind of fades because then because the money becomes such a big thing. But he was trying to remind him of how much fun football was to him when he was a youth. And to me, that's kind of what investing is fun. It's exciting. And there's lots of different things about it that I find fun. And I think sometimes people think of, oh, I can only get into investing if I'm super serious about it. No, there's a lot of different ways you can go to do it. And you just need to find what's going to work best for you and what you find intriguing and what will keep you coming back every day. The movie you think about is Jerry Maguire. Thank you. (laughs) Show me the money. Show me the money. Yep. That's it. So on a logical perspective, though, I mean, it's great, you know, to be all fun and games, but show me the money, right? Right. So why can somebody pursue stock picking? And what would be some basic ideas of why that could do better than just buying ETFs and sitting on the beach? Well, I guess the first idea is index funds slash ETFs are designed to mimic or match the index or the fund that they are matching. And so they're designed by nature not to beat the market. So just in general, that's the way they're supposed to work. And that's not a negative. That and that's just what they're what they're designed to do. So if you go into an index investing or investing with ETFs, and you expect to beat the market, you're going to be sorely disappointed. So just understand that they are not designed to beat the market. They're designed to match or mimic whatever returns the S and P 500 gets, for example. So that being said, if you want to beat the market, then you have to use some sort of combination of individual stock investing. And that's really the only proven way that I'm aware of that you can do that. And the advantage that we have as individual investors, as opposed to the people that are managing funds, whether they're ETFs or whether they're hedge funds or that kind of thing, the one super, super big advantage is A, we can buy whatever we want. So we have no preconditions or any ideas forcing us to concentrate on one particular thing or idea or theme, we also have a much longer time horizon that's available to us. And that is probably the biggest advantage that we have as individual investors, because the longer that you invest, the more chances you have of beating the market. And the longer that you can invest in particular companies, then the longer, the better advantage you have, because those other managers Unfortunately for them, the majority of them are driven by their returns. 
And their investors demand that they beat the market on a regular basis. And to do that, they have to move in and out of companies far more than you and I have to do. And so we can withstand a drawdown of 50% of Berkshire Hathaway and still come out in the long run, whereas a fund manager doesn't have that advantage. And so those are a couple of things that kind of come to mind when I think about you know, show me the money. Why would I do this as opposed to that? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. I think there are times when it's better to invest in an index fund. And I think there are times when not investing in an index fund and maybe picking stocks is better. And that fluctuates depending on what's in the index and, and what's comprising the index. I mean, right now we're recording this 2023. Top three companies in the S&P are Apple, Microsoft, and Google. I find that very hard combo to try to beat. And I'm kind of sad I only have two of three of those in my portfolio. But at other times, I mean, I remember Tesla being a big part of the S&P 500. It still kind of is. Other stocks have had super high PEs and become big parts of the S&P 500. And even the big oil companies were a big part of the S&P 500 at the time. So it's interesting how concentrated the S&P is becoming and how these ETFs are becoming, you're getting that kind of exposure through an ETF. And over a long enough time period, it's not going to do much, but a couple percentage points a year, again, to kind of go full circle with what we were talking about before, if you can increase your annual returns over time, what you're doing is you're taking that snowball and basically the higher the return, the steeper the hill that your snowball goes down. And it really mushrooms and becomes exponential. And so that is why if you can become skilled enough and have the right, you know, the right knowledge base, the right emotional maturity, the right behavior of, of being able to manage a portfolio and do the right thing for your portfolio, you can generate serious wealth that is multiples above what you could do in just an ETF if that's what you're going for. And so again, that's going to be different for everybody because Maybe somebody has 15 million and whether they have 15 or 20, they're still on the beach, right? But maybe for somebody else, earlier in the accumulation phase, that can make a huge difference. And so that's kind of where I kind of look at it. And it's such a cop-out to say it depends, but it really does. And the market changes every day. The indexes change every day. And that's what makes it fun. But there's also time periods where you can generate alpha and... For some people, in some circumstances, some situations, they can create a lot of wealth for themselves and for others. Yeah, I think that's the perfect answer. Okay. <laughs> Want to wrap it up? Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show. And if you would, kindly consider giving us a review. A five-star would be fantastic. It greatly helps our show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials we've created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lastly, continue growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, we'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day.
The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.